The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, the culture war is on. It's Tuesday morning at this time, and that's what we delve into. Uh, certain stories that impact our culture in the broader sense. And uh, joining us yet again, Scott Masson, Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel here in Toronto. Doctor, good to have you on board. Good morning, morning, John. I've never referred you in that uh, sense, but uh, you are a a doctor, I'm guessing, uh, of philosophy, is it not? Literature, I'm afraid. Literature, okay, (laughs) you're not afraid. I just didn't want you doing any kind of examinations, internal (laughs) or external. Justin Troche is a spokesperson with the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good to see you again, Justin. Good to see you, John and Scott. You know, I, I wanted to start with something that involves doctors, and uh, you can help me here because I think it has broader implications for our society. And uh, this is the story uh, about Angelina Jolie, uh, mm-hmm. reported uh, in an op-ed piece. She's had a double mastectomy because uh, while she has no cancer, her mom died of cancer in her 50s, so she wanted to play it safe. And uh, I guess with the mapping of the human genome, there are certain genetic markers that get uh, identified, and uh, then people take... In the case of Angelina Jolie, this rather drastic preemptive measure. Dr. Masson, I'll start with you. Is this, the, is this a slippery slope we're on here? Or is this, uh, you know, science availing us of uh, great alternatives and options? Well, Justin and I were talking about this just before we came in. And I, I, I feel for the woman in a sense. I find it incredible. Uh, I don't know the specifics exactly of her case, but I find it incredible that people are going to act on something that might happen as if it were a fact. Um, and yet they would they would not do this with anything else in life. People are driven by science as if science was, uh, uh, even in her case, was fast and sure on this, this preventative self-mutilation. Um, I, I find that an ethical minefield. Uh, I know she's not the first person who has done this, and increasingly that is the case. But in genetics, and genetic science in particular, I think it's, it's very much uh, uh, an open debate at the moment how... Uh, decisive genetic traits are in these things. And in fact, it's environment and such things play a great deal of, uh, they have a large role in what the actual outcome is going to be. So um, I'm very surprised that she should go to that extreme in order to do something uh, so definitive. And uh, I wonder where that will end. I mean, you could do that on any number of fronts. Well, that's why I bring it up. It, it well, does it, open up Pandora's box. on many, many fronts. I'm, I'm sure. really surprised, Scott, that you would dismiss any kind of preventative activity taken by humans to, um, you know, make themselves less God. likely to be mm. um, uh, victimized by, by uh, medical uh, uh, tragedies of, in this case. We do all sorts of things like that. I mean, we go to the dentist regularly so that we don't get tooth decay. We put on seatbelts when we ride the car. Even though there's a fairly low chance of getting into a collision, we vaccinate ourselves and our children, even though most of us are probably never going to get measles or polio because there is a chance we might and because the rest of society might might catch it if we don't all so your argument ourselves. is that so I should lots have lots of times when we do preventative things so your argument is i should case, have my teeth removed because i'll get tooth decay she has an if you had an 87 percent chance that a particular tooth was going to decay i would encourage you to remove that tooth well in all this my case, teeth that, are decaying. Would, that was the chance in this particular case she had an 87 percent chance 
of suffering from breast cancer. Um, I do think that it is empowering if you're given the right information. And we can debate that because you're quite right that science is evolving or information is evolving. But to act on the best available science at the time we have it, I think, is empowering and makes a lot of sense. All right. But Scott calls it an ethical minefield. And I wanted you to expand on that because there are some people, you know, they go the IVF route and uh, they find genetic markers, for example, uh, it leads to designer babies. I mean, what the Human Genome Project has availed us now and uh, science has opened up the door for people uh, being selective and interpreting what they will for what choices they want to make. Is that the uh, ethical minefield you're citing, Scott? It is, and we can see it even in instances, this is not genetics, but in uh, in the abortion field, in gender side and so forth. We know it's going to be a girl. We don't want a girl. Therefore, we're going to abort. So it's taking information that science has availed us of that we would not have had in the past and acting on it in accordance with our choices, our desires to avoid the outcome that we don't want. Yeah, the it's motives there are entirely cultural, social, Perhaps uh, there's an element of, of discrimination there. It's a, it's completely in the ethical field. There's no medical implications there whatsoever. Here we're talking about a young woman who has a an extremely high risk of developing breast cancer. And most preventative surgeries are only done when there is a relatively high risk. I'm not advocating, you know, preventative invasive surgeries willy-nilly. There are cases, for example, when uh, a woman has had a partial mastectomy. Um, the, the literature is not clear in my research, and I'm not a medical doctor for the record, but it seems like there is some ambiguity about whether in those, in that particular case, getting both breasts removed makes sense, whether that will significantly increase a woman's chance of survival. But that's a, that's a medical, scientific, research-based decision. Once the facts are increasingly well understood by science, then a woman and her family have the ability to make more and more better informed decisions. Now, I, I don't, don't really science- see where the... I don't think science drove the decision at all, actually. Uh, her fear of the, of the disease drove the outcome. And in that sense, it's exactly the same as the gender side. There was a feared outcome that they didn't want, and the parents will act upon that. It's the fear that drives it, not yeah, the science. Death. It's a fear of death. That's quite different from the fear of having a boy or having a girl. I don't see how you're kind of mixing apples and oranges there, I think, to make a, 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 an argument for well, the gender know, side's a, a social or cultural point the, that you it, want to squeeze in here. Well, it's not a cultural point. The point is that in the gender case, it's killing a person in order to avoid uh, whatever you called it a social or a cultural outcome. Fair enough, but you're killing a person in order to do it. So it's just a stronger instance of the Jan- Angelina Jolie Well, case. I'm not commenting personally on my position on sex-selective abortion. I'm just saying it, I don't see the connection here. In this particular case... Let's it's look- the science leading us to... It's the science uh, giving us more options. But of course, that's what science does. It gives us more data. And more data always gives us more options. I think more data gives us more informed options. Does it improve our, our quality of life on that front? I Absolutely. mean, you've got other genetic markers like for sickle cell anemia in the black community. And mm-hmm. uh, there might be people who decide that, uh, you know, this is not uh, because the marker is very pronounced, uh, don't want to go ahead with, uh, I cited in vitro fertilization as an example. So mm-hmm. uh, that's just another case. I mean, this is ethics and science kind of coming together, uh, that confluence of science. Do you think that these are rational decisions that adults should be availed? Yeah, of course. Even in this particular case, this particular gene that gives Angelina Jolie a heightened chance of developing breast cancer, there is an, eth- an ethnic 
you know, component to the debate we could have because it is more prevalent in certain ethnic communities, in particular Jewish, Jewish communities, that this particular genetic okay. defect or whatever you want to call it. Um, so there is that component. But at the end of the day, I think it's an individual choice based on the best available data. And I'm with you on this, Scott, that that data does change. And I gave an example where, you know, perhaps the research isn't conclusive enough to, to you know, be informing for a woman to make a decision. Uh, but I think here it's a pretty you know, clear case where the data is very clear and Angelina Jolie, I think, did make the right decision. Well, again, but you parse out as if the moral judgments and the moral aspect of the decision were utterly at odds with with the decision of science itself, as if science and morality were were divorced. And I'm not convinced that that is the case, even in, even, we'll take it in Angelina Jolie's case, she has uh, maimed herself because she fears that she's going to get breast cancer. Okay, Fine and good. She can make that choice. Are there no further further implications for her down the road? She may not even consider them at the time. She may just be fearful of that, but there could be uh, other implications. I'm not sure that there are in this case. I, again, in the gender side, there most certainly are further implications. You've, you've just distinguished a, a human life. Um, so there are in all of these, uh, when science says, here's what the outcome is going to be, and we act upon that in accordance with science, there are still moral implications to that decision that transcend uh, whatever uh, outcome I'm seeing at that point. Well, I guess, for example, where, sorry to interrupt you, John, where where you'd fall, Scott, on, say, vaccinations, vaccinating yourself, having your kids vaccinated. I mean, I I provided that that point a bit earlier, but I wonder if we could flesh that out, because it seems to me that there's no real difference here, that there is simply a likelihood of developing some disease, sometimes right. not even for yourself, but in the community at large. So, and so acting upon certainty as if it were probably... You, you're saying the science is certain all along. I no, said I that, never said that. Oh, okay. Well, Very let me just interject. I mean, is there a danger, too? We could be reverting to a time of Dr. Joseph Mengele, whereas if uh, somebody mm-hmm. is identified as not being the perfect prototype, uh, they're disposable. Is that maybe the slippery slope that we're on? And I wonder, too, if Angelina Jolie has such cultural impact or consequence. You know, she's, uh, mm. I don't know, an influence to people. Mm-hmm. Many, many more women would be following her lead. Is there Fair a point. risk in that? Or is that, uh, you know, some prudent, uh, you know, because it's now come out of the closet, so to speak, more women have that choice available to them? You think that's a good development for her being so public about it, Scott? Or, uh, Justin? <laughs> Uh, I'm not the doctor, right? Um, I, I, I don't. That's a, that's a fair point, John. I mean, it's true that she's a trendsetter, and and I always worry when um, a decision may be more likely to be made because of trendsetting um, or fads in this case. Uh, so I'm a little bit ambivalent when you make that point. I, I do think, though, that she has made it perhaps more acceptable. So perhaps there are women who who would uh, feel some stigma to go with this procedure, and maybe they would be less likely to feel that stigma. But you're right, perhaps others who, you know, the mix of circumstances for them would would suggest they shouldn't take on this invasive procedure, perhaps they would be more likely to do it because she is a trendsetter. Again, I would fall back on my original point. I think it should be made in light of the best available data, not because of trendsetting or cultural um, influences or what have you. Hmm. Well, it, for me, I fall back to my original point. Uh, when we use science to decide our, uh, to guide our decisions, rather than embracing life it has been, as it has been given to us by God, we end up 
maiming ourselves and taking life. And that's, I find that a very interesting in the, in the, she's in protecting the, her life, Scott. Well, that's what she believes she's doing. What we know for if a fact is she's maimed herself. You, I, I don't right? understand we know your that consistency here. Well, she didn't know she was going to have cancer. She just thought she might on the, on the back. Now what percentage does it become the right thing to do? 99%? Well, 95%? again, again, the percentages, as you've just uh, agreed, uh, are, are debatable even among scientists. Not you in said this particular it, case. Right. It's, no, well, they said it's 87%, but, but I mean, I mean, genetic science is very new. Mm-hmm. The data is not even in. So on she such should things. she should have taken her chances at least. Uh, and if it uh, had come to pass that she developed the cancer, that's just the way it works in life. She shouldn't try to uh, do anything to. I think whenever we try and take our own uh, uh, predetermined uh, life path, pre- predetermined by God, into our own hands, that suicide, murder, and death, and terrible consequences. Ensue. So we shouldn't wear yes. seatbelts. We should just leave it to the whim of God to avoid collisions. We shouldn't vaccinate our children. That, that's the crazy and ludicrous Well, there's argument. a difference between trying to prevent uh, harm and harming yourself. Do you not see the difference? Let's between see what the folks Actually, not so much, no, because she's preventing a much greater harm, namely her death. Let's, let's find out. I'm curious, uh, folks, weighing in on this one, the story that Angelina Jolie had a double mastectomy because the 87% risk that she could develop the cancer that killed her mom, she wanted to preempt that uh, based on a genetic marker. Do you think she did the right thing, or is this somehow morally and ethically in defense? The culture war is back. Back into it with our culture warriors, Dr. Scott Masson, associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. What are we to make of the decision made and a drastic one by Angelina Jolie, double mastectomy, to uh, preempt the good chance that she might get uh, breast cancer? 87% chance, according to genetic markers, it uh, cost her mother her life in her 50s, and so she took this action. Is there anything inherently wrong uh, with doing this based on science? Terry, what's your take in Weston? Good morning. Uh, John, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic, and I'm, and I'm pro-life. And it really disturbs me when, when the Reverend sullies the conversation of, of, of abortion by dragging it into a conversation, in my mind, that has no parity. It, to me, it, it diminishes the value of the pro-life movement. That's number one. Number two, I lost my sister... At 49 years of age, to breast cancer, watching her die was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I wish to God she had the opportunity to have this test because Kathy would be here today. It really bothers me the way this man, you can tell in my voice, has hijacked the conversation and sullied one thing that I greatly believe in. I'm just so upset with this with this pastor. It bothers me to no end. I think Angela Jolie is brave. She's going to be alive for her children, and I think a 97% chance of getting breast cancer and dying is well worth the operation. Well, you're, again, my, my point here, first of all, we did have... I know your point, and I disagree vehemently with it. Okay, could I finish my, my what I was going to say? Uh, my, first of all, uh, one of the topics on the docket was the abortion issue, so I, I, I can understand why you think I've smuggled that in, and fair point. Um, but I would say this, and my point was, it was 87% chance. What was certain was that she maimed herself. What was unclear was whether she would ever get this. What was also unclear was whether the actual statistic of 87% was reliable because the science is constantly changing. And again, this is just a small case of um, someone acting upon what the science of their time has, has told them is going to be the outcome as if it were the outcome. 
And uh, as we said, this is a slippery slope that can go in any number of directions. Where does this end? Well, let me ask the uh, caller, Terry, uh, was there a history of such in your family? No, there was no history at all. So there was, and, and at the time, like this genetic marker, the science wasn't there. But my sister was a nurse. She was a very bright young lady. She would have taken, if she had that information, I have no doubt that Kathy would have opted for the operation. It's, it's, it's just, I, I, it just bothers me greatly, even his tone when he calls it maiming. I, I don't understand it. They, I'll ask the Reverend one last question, John. You have a lot of callers. Hmm. Have you ever had your tonsils removed, sir? Yes. Have you had oh, no, I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> well, people have had their tonsils removed right. and then in a preemptive fashion back in the 50s and 60s when I was a kid. Yeah. Were they maiming their children? When, you, when, when, when a child um, has their appendix taken out, is that maiming? Well, interestingly, in the case with tonsils, they, my understanding is that they don't remove tonsils now because they found out they are actually useful. Uh, and so they do their best not to remove them. At that one point, the science uh, told people that they should remove them. So whenever you had uh, the slightest inflammation of tonsils, they removed them as a matter of course. It just proves my point well, about the science to some extent. Right, yeah, so nobody f- disagrees that the science changes. But when the best available science suggested that removing the tonsils was necessary... Well, should we but, have but Justin, waited we, until better science came in? Well, for didn't faith and science also years? lead to thalidomide babies? Right. I mean, so do we have, uh, to, I'm just saying to Scott's point, uh, are we placing too much faith in science? Is that something that's prudent to do? Uh, at, at brought up the uh, question that Scott had earlier. What percentage is the tipping point where you say, I can uh, cast my lot and believe in the science this way? But again, it's, it's very much a personal decision. Exactly. Well, that's and, why I come uh, down on it. All right. Well, we've got a lot of calls, so we'll continue on in this uh, vein uh, for a little bit, and then we'll move on to a few other matters with our culture warriors. Dr. Scott Mass. Let me grab another fast call on this one. Cindy in Oakville, go ahead. You're on the Oakley Show. Good morning, John. Hi. Um, I have a sister-in-law who who had a large... Um, she had her grandmother, her mother, and two older sisters die of breast cancer. They wanted to take both of her breasts off. She refused just on the basis that if she felt that if she was going to get cancer because it was so high in her uh, family, that it would start behind the breastbone, uh, or it could start behind the breastbone, which in taking off her breasts would do nothing. She chose to keep both her breasts, um, and she did get breast cancer. She had one removed and went through a year with the chemo and that. Um, they, when I asked her if they were taking the other one off, because I've also had a friend who had, when she had breast cancer, have her uterus and had a complete, complete hysterectomy because they said it can go, um, the estrogen can go down into there and, and the cancer can start up through your hysterectomy too. So they took it all out. So they just removed everything to stop the cancer from coming back. But what she was told was if she was to remove her other breast and the cancer came back, it would more than likely go into the other breast. If you took that breast off or took off or took out the uterus, the, br- the cancer would then develop. It would come back, but it would go into an organ. Hmm. And then that would be worse. So what you're saying is, I mean, uh, this is not a bad move. J- Angelina Jolie did something uh, which was her prerogative to do that was a preemptive measure to... Uh, no, she's not saying that. She's saying no, that. I'm not saying that. She's saying okay. that by removing the breast, there's a stronger possibility of the cancer going somewhere else. Oh, that's I see. Which, uh, my apologies. My apologies. I just so got lost. Okay. Wait, I'm not yeah. sure that's quite right either. I, I, well, in her sister's case, case, I don't well, know about well, Angelina that, in, her, in her particular case, and more to the point of it being individual and us having you know an understanding of the individual nuances of each 
patient because each patient's unique. But in her right. case, uh, it didn't make a difference one way or the other. There was no net benefit. Yeah, each case is unique. Exactly. A fair point. You can't. You can't go on. You can't just go just because it was good for Angelina. If it was good for Angelina, that that has yet to be determined. Right. You know, it's kind of scary to have cancer because depending on the doctor you have and Mm. what he what he feels is the best best method for you might not necessarily. I think it's. I agree with the caller, and this is precisely my point. We act as if science uh, could tell us exactly how things are going to be and the outcome. We're acting on as if it were a certainty, and we're acting with certainty. And all that we know for certain about our actions is that they are certain. She has lost her breast. That was her choice. We didn't know even though that she was going to have cancer. Nobody talks about certainty. We talk about acting on the best available data, and you do that all the time. Of course, this is we do. all of us do. Of so course. this is just providing us more data. Is it and risk it, management in essence? Yes, absolutely. I understand that. And perhaps her prerogative. I do think it's her. It's her prerogative. You always act uh, in accordance with your your best wisdom in in situations like that. The question is: Are there broader implications to this uh, on? We're, look, we're taking one issue, Angelina Jolie, and talking about the broader issue. That's sure. the point. Extrapolating, sure. Right. Uh, let's come back and uh, pick up on that theme. There's a lot of calls in this one, obviously, but uh, there are a few themes that do dovetail with that, including the Cleveland case, and we'll put it to our Culture Warriors with more of your thoughts in a moment on The Oakley Show. Our turn again. Here we are. We're back into it with the Culture Warriors. Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance on the Angelina Jolie question. You know, we were talking about broader implications of uh, genetic markers, and it leads to, uh, you know, uh, the Mengele-like scenarios of who are considered to be imperfect people and maybe disposable, and you've got that with the IVF situation, you know, which invariably leads us around to, Scott, uh, we were tiptoeing around uh, the abortion question as well. And uh, there was a question that I had concerning that, and this has to do with a Cleveland case. I'm curious. Ariel Castro is this individual who's uh, also facing uh, kidnapping and rape charges, but the charges for in five counts for the death of unborn babies that he fathered with his victims because uh, the one, Michelle Wright, the oldest of the victims, apparently miscarried five times. He uh, starved her and punched her in the stomach. Help me out here. Uh, seriously, I'm not sure how that would stand as uh, charges for the death of the unborn babies uh, while they're still in the womb. I mean, uh, doesn't that lead to the question of then uh, abortion uh, providers could also be held accountable on the same charge? Well, I think the logic is is clear, and I, I think it's impeccable. Actually, I don't think that how I don't see how it can be argued against. Um, and again. Uh, a similar case was this uh, Dr. Kermit Gosnell, who has just been found guilty of first-degree murder uh, for three uh, children who he had attempted to abort, failed to do so. Uh, they came outside the womb, and then he, with surgical scissors, uh, severed their spinal cords. And he was found by a jury, uh, three-quarters of which were pro-choice advocates, and they, were f- they found him unanimously yeah. of first-degree murder. Now, because the there was that, no real controversy or debate there. I mean, he they, killed, well, yeah, yeah. killed individuals who had been born. He killed living infants. That's the, that, that hardly sets a precedent that's going to overturn Roe versus Wade or anything like that. I just don't, don't see the connection. The difference is, what is the difference between the child inside the womb and the child outside the womb? If it's a child outside the womb, it's also a child inside the womb. And then well, it's regulations, just a, countries that have regulations on abortion, and we can talk about those, um, always have to define 
that line somewhere. And usually it's at the time when the fetus would be viable outside the womb, 24 to 26 weeks or so. Um, not my specialty again, unfortunately. But that, that's, there's always that line that has to be drawn. So right. And we, I would say it, that the, we're the, not doing anything new here except having that old debate again. Well, we are having something new because because this jury found this uh, this doctor this uh, uh, guilty of first degree murder. So the difference is that now we have we have determined what he did to be a murderous act. And what's but murdering the living infants has always been murder. The, 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 right. Well, the infant it's never the, been a debate there. Right, well, there there is a debate. The debate was was that an infant inside the womb as well as outside the womb? I say it was. Well, that In brings Canada, me to Cleveland. We say there's no difference. Well, well yeah, that brings the, me to Cleveland. Then how does this guy uh, face murder charges for the death of unborn babies that uh, were miscarried? Right. When o- they weren't Ohio, even babies actually, at all has in their uh, aggravated murder stipulations, there's two ways you can be found guilty of aggravated murder. One is you murder somebody. The other one is you cause an unlawful termination of a pregnancy. So the, the law allows for him to be found guilty of this charge, and certainly think he should be, without overturning any laws or, or leading to any real precedence. The, if you wanted to so he had a, no legal protection to terminate the pregnancy. Exactly. That's right. So that's the number. Yeah. All right, let's grab okay. some more calls here. <laughs> so it's, not, it's just a question of law, not a question of morality. Let's bring it to Canada. Well, no, I was just going to say that it's not particularly this case that's of interest in this debate. It would be, why does Ohio have this particular law that it does? And we can debate that. But it's, it's, the, it's the, the law that is of interest in this debate, not if he's found guilty, that that's going to overturn laws. What or, or interests me as a Canadian is not what happens south of the border. It's what happens here in this inside sure. these borders. And what happens, what Dr. Kermit Gosnell did, uh, which has been charged, which has been found by a jury uh, unanimously to be an act of first degree murder in Canada happens regularly. We have 491 uh, live births in Canada on the record in which something similar would have happened. And yet in Canada, there we were, you can hear crickets chirping in the media about this. Not first degree murder, no investigation, nothing. Are you talking about late term abortions or no, actually I'm talking about live, live birth births abortions? in Canada on the record, and we have tried to get an inquest into this, and we cannot get anyone if, from the Conservatives to the NDP who will be willing to consider this. These okay. are human beings, human lives, first-degree murder. Nobody disputes that. It's first-degree murder south of the border in Canada. Yeah, if that's happening okay. in Canada, that's discussed. That obviously well, that should has be Warwa, wasn't he? Prohibited. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right, let's go uh, take some more calls here, people waiting. Ray in North York, appreciate your patience. Go ahead. Um, well, my comment is uh, based on the last uh, the last talk there. Uh-huh. I completely disagree with the uh, the reverend. Um, I don't think it uh, it doesn't make sense that if if a doctor tells you you, you got blood poisoning in this limb and you gotta you gotta get rid of it, right? Right. Otherwise, there's a chance that poison can spread throughout your body, so sure. they amputate the limb. Right. Uh, what's wrong with that? You know, it's, all I, right. Well, caller, the point is here: she was not diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed with a, a predisposition to cancer based on her genetic type. There is a difference. No, I understand that. But like uh, Oakley was saying, what's the what's the tipping point for the percentage? If they said it's ninety nine percent, what would you do? Or if it was your child, would you take the risk of getting rid of the the potential cause of cancer? Um. Uh, well, it depends on the. Uh, it depends on the, the. Right, every case will be different. We all agreed on that. Um, it depends on the consequence. What are you going to do, and what is what's the outcome of that? One of our callers 
raised the issue that by trying to treat the cancer, you can actually cause the cancer to go elsewhere. Again, the science is very murky on this, and we assume that it is certain. That was my point from the outset. We're acting with certitude on the basis of the best available evidence, but the, but the evidence, it, she doesn't even have cancer. She just has the predisposition to cancer, so she's acting if you want to on talk a possibility. About sort of the slippery slope argument or the larger implications, you know, why not refer to if this will lead to, you know, eventually mass gene therapy, right, so that, you know, at, even at the genetic level, uh, we would want to, um, you know, make decisions about life or death based on the the future likelihood of having a child who is going to have the gene. Well, Scott, then Scott is basically suggesting I mean, that, you know, uh, science is taking us into the realm of playing God, if I'm not uh, misreading him. Helen, mm-hmm. let's get you in here. Hello, Oakley Show. This has nothing to do with the abortion. I'm just calling to say I just love your program today. They're not interrupting each other. They're polite people. And it's such a thrill to be able to listen to a whole program without people interrupting. Thank you, John. We haven't been doing our job. You're quite welcome. Sorry. That's right. No, no, no. <laughs> Mark, this morning. Well, uh, maybe uh, this that. next one will get you going. I wanted to extend one more segment. We've got the education system coming out of review. Uh, it was actually something that was pricked by a young student uh, down in Texas who really went into a searing indictment of his teacher. Is this something writ large that's a problem in our culture? We'll get to that momentarily with our two panelists and your thoughts as well. All right, good morning. Back with our Culture Warriors. One final segment we've extended this morning. It was a, a rather lively debate. And uh, I'll grab one more call on the mastectomy issue. Uh, Angelina Jolie has brought to the attention of everyone, it seems. And uh, whether or not this is placing too much faith in science to predict outcomes. And uh, Scott Masson believes that to be the case, and it's a slippery slope. Justin Trache, on the other hand, believes personal prerogative. And uh, it's just a, a preemptive thing we do based on our knowledge and expanding uh, information in that context. Mary and Markham, what do you say as a punctuation point to this? Well, uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this surgery done, actually, when I was 29 years old. I was diagnosed with uh, the breast cancer gene mm-hmm. when I was 25. And it was a no-brainer. If you're, you're lucky, I look at it as a gift. You are given a gift of knowing what is coming down the road towards you and being able to do something about it. If you're diagnosed with the Parkinson's gene or the Alzheimer's gene, you have nothing. You can do nothing but wait and sit and wait for it to happen to you. If you're diagnosed with the breast cancer gene, you're lucky enough to be able to do something and be preactive and preemptive for your, for your family, for yourself for whatever you want. And every woman, it's an incredibly individual decision whether to have the the screening done at all. And if you come out positive, whether to have the surgery at all. It's incredibly, incredibly personal. And you have to think about it and talk about it with your family. And my point why I called in was that the Reverend just sounds so judgmental about it. And nobody, nobody should judge any woman at all based on this decision. It is, this was probably the hardest decision she has ever had to make. And mm. watching her mother die of ovarian cancer was probably the hardest thing she has ever done. My mother had ovarian cancer. It was devastating. Thank God she pulled through it. Two years later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Why in the world would, would Angelina Jolie or any woman want their children to watch that happen to them? It's a horrible, horrible disease, and she was given a gift of knowing that it was coming for her. And that's my point. That I, that's why I had it done, because I don't want my family to see me go through it. It's an incredibly hard surgery, and any woman who goes through it, hats off to you, because it's very, very difficult. But then you're given the gift of knowing what's coming at you. Mm-hmm. And that was my point. 
Uh, and it's well stated, and we really appreciate you joining the conversation this morning. Thank you, Mary, for that. Uh, we'll leave, uh, I guess it's a comment on its own, and uh, we've already belabored the point, uh, each to his own. Now, the uh, other point that I wanted to make one final time is the education system, whether or not this is a searing indictment of the education system writ large. A young man in Texas tees off on his teacher, give a listen. If you would just get up and teach them instead of handing them a freaking packet, yo. There's kids in here who don't learn like that. Bye. They need to learn face to face. Or you're just getting mad because I'm pointing out the obvious. No, and you're too late. wasting my time. No, I'm not wasting your time. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what you need to do. Get out. You want kids to come in your class? You want them to get excited yeah, for this? You got to come in here. Time. You got to make them excited. You want a kid yeah. to change and start right. doing better? You got to touch his freaking heart. Can't expect a kid to change if all you do is just tell him. You gotta, you gotta take this job serious. This is the future of this nation. And when you come in here, like you did last time, and make a statement about, oh, this is my paycheck. Indeed, it is. But this is my country's future and my education. Can you go outside, please? But there's a limit when I'm not bitching, but simply making an observation. Okay, okay. And now I will leave. You're welcome. And if you would like, I'll teach you a little more so you can actually learn how to teach a freaking class. Because since I got here, I've done nothing but read packets. So don't try and take credibility for teaching me Jack. All right, 18-year-old Jeff Bliss down Texas Way. It's a viral sensation on YouTube and uh, because... I guess it strikes a nerve, either that or some people are saying, who is this lippy kid? Uh, Justin Tronchain, do you think he's making valid points about the education system in a broader context? Well, he's making valid points, but I wish his word choice had been done with a little bit more forethought. Um, I was actually wondering if you could say freaking on the radio. I guess I, guess I have my answer there um, because he did use words like that, and I'm glad you played the clip. Yeah. Um, by, by doing it the way he did it, and sure he's getting a lot of attention, it, it might make it harder for this particular school or other schools in the States to to actually take it seriously and not simply get their backs up and come out um, just as critical of, of the manner in which he voices his critique. But he's passionate. You hear that. So a young person I to be passionate young about enthu- education. Young activism, yeah. That, well, that part's great. But, you know, he could have done a YouTube video at home. He could have set up a meeting with the principal and You think it was wrong to confront the teacher directly that way? I'm not sure it's effective. Well, all right. Scott, do you think it's effective even to the point where people were opining earlier this morning that this is why we need charter schools or vouchers anyway, where you can have the uh, money follow the kid and uh, turn it into a meritocracy rather than just a hierarchy where the more seniority you have, the cushier your job and you get pushed up the food chain? What say you? I guess if that's what uh, the issue is here, um, in terms of a classroom, that's intolerable. The teacher has to throw him out. You simply cannot have that. Mm-hmm. But if the issue is really that you've got somebody who is a pencil pusher, who doesn't care about the children, and there is no choice for the parents, then uh, I can understand the frustration at not uh, this young man whose future is being mortgaged uh, so somebody can get a paycheck. If, that, if that's what they want the issue to be made out to be, maybe that is what the issue is. I do think that the public education system is certainly... Uh, on the decline and is recognizably so and that those that uh, places that provide alternatives to it are doing far better by all measurements. So just quickly pick up on that, Scott, because, you know, I I agree with you. I think that the education system, especially in public schools in the States, is on the decline. And Canada. I think what we need to do, though, is look at the reasons for that and invest in improving the quality of public education, not make it so that rich (laughs) parents can send their kids to private schools and leave 
public education fending for itself. Well, it's um, not, I think it's, one of the problems is with the lack of critical thinking. And it's and I have to throw this in because this is Texas where this happened. And, and in, in fact, the Texas Republican Party platform in the last election actually pr- would have prohibited, this is amazing, prohibited schools from teaching what they called higher order thinking skills or critical thinking that would have led students to um, question the, the, the traditions in which they were raised by their parents. Right. So when you when you have this attack on teaching critical thinking and fundamental thinking skills in public schools, I think there's a relationship there. Well, if you mean by critical thinking and cultural Marxism, which is taught in our public schools here, then I agree with the state of Texas that this has no place in any school system. That's because not what it's simply it was indoctrination. To. Well, it was evolutionary science, climate change related science, the sort of. Well, actually, that's exactly what sciences. it's referring to then, because this is cultural Marxism. It's based on what you call science, which the rest of us call dubious skeptos, uh, pseudoscience. The, mm-hmm. uh, I, I agree that there is a, a problem with the education system. It's not about getting rich kids out of the schools. It's about providing a choice for parents uh, for their children. And this boy is clearly crying out because he is a prisoner in this system. Uh, and so the call for a private alternative to the public schools, I fully understand that. I think he was out of line in how he spoke in the classroom. The teacher needed to deal with him as she did. However, his the broader concern that he has articulated is one that many of us have here in Canada as well, quite frankly. So and what do you, you think know, breeds this mediocrity that he's railing against? Uh, the, what breeds the me- mediocrity in in the school system? Uh-huh. Uh, well, there's a lack of an alternative, quite frankly. And, uh, and some people are in the teaching profession um, because it's a, it's a secure job, uh, because it has benefits, and they're not there because of the love of teaching. And this teacher sounds like this is one of those teachers. You know, it's a, it's a job. Well, for I agree her. with you. That a lot of teachers don't take the job seriously, but I think the focus should be on improving the curriculum and making sure that. Um, but that doesn't change the teachers, the Justin. High quality, high but that doesn't change the teachers. Uh, a system in which teachers are accountable to the parents uh, and to the principal who's accountable to the parents and where there's a deliverable standard. There's ways standards. of empowering parents so that they're more involved in, in student life and in and the... Yes, there is. And that's providing school choice. That's exactly how you do it. But school choice basically creates an exodus out of publicly funded schools at which Amen. most lower income students are forever going to be trapped in this lower no, quality No, not necessarily system. so. That's not necessarily but so. Where, where it's been implemented, the results have not been. If very your tax dollars can go to your school of choice, as opposed to the public system, then nobody who is economically disadvantaged will suffer from this. All right, I just wonder if the teachers' unions also are becoming an impediment to the point where you can't advance the good ones because the ones with more seniority are clogging up the works. And we'll have well, to leave on that note. Yeah. Well, that is, and we'll leave this it for an another occasion. To the topic, though, <laughs> it was an important contribution, and I appreciate your saying that. Uh, we're wrapping here for the day. Dr. Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trotje, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you both. Thanks. Thank for a civil discussion last word or two thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the ezra institute for contemporary christianity please feel free to share it with friends but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the eicc thank you